And now, broadcasting live on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for Your Road to Personal Addiction Recovery with Dr. William Nelson. If you suffer from addiction to opiate pain relievers, heroin, alcohol, or other substances, we're here to give you hope and help you overcome your addiction. Now, here's your host, Dr. Nelson. In the uh, 10 or 12 years that I've worked in the field of addiction and addiction recovery, um, it seems as though the longer I work in this environment, the less I know. And that sounds like a contradictory statement. But what I mean by that is uh, Western medicine seems to be enamored with the idea that one size fits all. And that for every condition, for every illness, for every disease, or in the case that we're talking about today, addiction, there should be a single linear approach to recovery. And that means stop taking or intaking the substance that a person is abusing, just stop it, and then you know everything should be okay, and uh, maybe do some counseling or 12-step, and then everybody should have um, amazing results. And um, because of the challenges and the multifactorial um, influences and, and things that people go through, each person and each person's recovery process has to be addressed in a more individualized way. And Western medicine is not set up that way. So um, with all that, um, we have an expert today that's gonna talk to us about um, something called dialectic behavior therapy, something that I haven't really heard of. And uh, we're excited to hear from her today. And today's guest is Laura Patrasic. And Laura is a certified a DBT or the dia dialectic behavior therapy um, practitioner who herself is recovering from her addiction. And uh, she uses her own experiences with recovery and treatment to help others. She received her master's of social work from the Wurlitzer School of Social Work and her PhD in clinical psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies, which I've heard about and is a wonderful organization. She's worked in the field of psychotherapy for 30 years, 26 of which have been as a practicing clinical psychologist in California. And um, she is also an LGBTQ plus member and ally and believes that mental illness can feel like you're in a free fall because you've lost control of your mind, but emphasizes that it's okay not to be okay. She's committed to providing the highest quality psychotherapy service as a psychologist and author and humor were individuals on their personal growth journeys. Um, she is the author of the Anger Workbook for Women and the DBT Workbook for Alcohol and Drug Addiction. So with that, you are listening to Your Road to Personal Addiction Recovery. My name is Dr. William Nelson. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks to Robin for hosting our program, and thanks to Dr. Laura Patrasic. Good morning, Laura. How are you? Good morning, Dr. Wilson. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's Dr. Nelson. Oh, Nelson. I'm sorry. I, I missed that. Okay. Hi, Dr. Yeah. Nelson. All right. Or, or Will no. Yeah, you can call me William and Dr. Nelson. Just not okay. Dr. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm excited to hear about what you, what you're uh, what you're working with. Um, first of all, um, 
for for listeners and, and for me, I've never heard of this TBT. Can you uh, give a little bit of an overview? How long has it been around? And then maybe describe a little bit of the benefits of how people uh, could benefit from this and the challenge to the recovery and, and uh, prevention of relapse. And if we could, I've, I've done so many shows about um, recovery, but let's, I would love if we could focus more on relapse because I think in the long, um, in the long term, uh, efficacy of what we do as practitioners, I think it's much easier to get someone in short term recovery, but preventing relapse is, is absolutely key and seems more challenging. So that's, yeah. that's a loaded question, but if you could, um, share with us some of your insights in that regard. Okay. So dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT has been around, I think it was invented about 20 years ago or compiled by Dr. Marsha Linehan. And she's a psychologist and researcher out of the University of Washington. She had her own personal story going through a lot of troubles um, when she was in her late teens, early 20s. And then she went on to get her own degree. And she found she was working with women who had borderline personality disorder using cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and also some mindfulness skills but she still wasn't having a lot of luck. And then um, the research, they added a component called dialectics, which is dialectical means both and. So instead of, a lot of times people in addiction, you know, their world is black and white, it's either or, but both and encompasses like I'm, Let's say for someone newly recovery, I'm in newly recovery, but I am sober. Or we're in the pandemic, but we will survive this. Or and we will survive this. And so that's one of the three prongs of DBT. It's looking at dialectics instead of either or as both and. And that's a way to encompass all the gray and help clients to not get stuck in the either or. And then a lot of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, from Aaron Beck, and then also mindfulness um, from Dr. Tara Brock uh, and some other uh, mindfulness psychologists teaching skills about living in the here and now. Um, And so for me personally, you know, I'm a psychologist, but I'm also someone in recovery. And I myself was going through a difficult time. Uh, I have also bipolar disorder. And so I went through this DBT six-month program, and during one of the group sessions, the therapist said, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And like a light bulb went off in my head because I, I said, hey, I've heard that hundreds of times in AA. But the how to not suffer has always eluded me. And dialectical behavioral therapy has, you know, hundreds of skills to teach you how to not 
suffer. Yeah, pain is inevitable. Life happens. But how to not suffer, how to not add to the pain that's already occurring in your life. And so that's what inspired me to write my book, um, to look at what are the DBT skills that could help uh, each client when they're going through the steps of AA. Okay. Um, you know, I thank you for that. And, you know, I, I, I love that um, because life is not black or white. And as much as we try to simplify things and make it cut and dry, um, I don't think really that's the way our human brain works. And I'm excited um, to hear more because it it seems as though that I, I guess the word is rigidity and kind of pigeonholing. And I, I mentioned it um, in the intro. It, it's also about linear approach to to more nuanced challenges. And so the idea of this uh, dielectric where you can simultaneously be experiencing two things at the same time that seem to be contradictory, when in right. fact that's just part of the human condition. So I, I love that. Could you... Uh, Maybe share something, because right now we're talking more about, you know, just kind of um, philosophy or or, or um, maybe if you could mention just how you experienced that in your, in your practice with uh, someone obviously maintaining anonymity, but maybe explain how that might happen in a clinical setting when you're working with someone that's experiencing kind of this dual reality or dual experience. Yeah. So a lot of times, um, especially when someone's newly sober um, and they've been sober or in the program before, there's a lot of uh, pessimism and um, feeling, uh, well, I did this before and it's not going to work. Or, excuse me, I've been sober before or clean and sober and I'm only going to end up relapsing. Um, so to have them look at that statement and challenge it in a way, okay, you've been so before, but is it necessarily inevitable that you're going to relapse again? Or can we develop kind of a, a map to recovery that's a, different than what you've done before and see if this might help you get over those trigger points, those relapse points that have tripped you up in the past. And um, then a lot of times people get, um, you know, have an open mind and uh, are willing to say, okay, let's, let's try this other way. Let's give this, you know, or not so much another way. Let's try this, this meaning DBT, in conjunction with already known recovery programs and see if this might help me stay clean and sober, not just get clean and sober. Yeah, I think that's the key, is staying clean and sober. Um, right. In your opinion, or is it is it just my experience, but in your opinion, is it as a person working in this in this environment and someone who's personally experienced this yourself, do you feel like the the long term or just 
permanent sobriety, do you think that's more of a challenge than just saying quitting their substance of choice and then having having periods of uh, sobriety then follow with the eventual relapse? Um, I'm okay. Can you uh, say that again, Doctor? I think I'm just. I, I guess. Oh. I guess. Um, my question is, my experience in my um, work with patients is that, you know, some just don't ever make it through. And you know, we could be talking about alcohol. We could be talking about opiates. But you know, there's a little bit of differences between the two. But I find that I have many more patients that have short-term success where they actually stop using their substance of choice and then they have you know periods of sobriety that could last anywhere from a month to six months and sometimes a year or two and to me someone who's not in recovery i would think once you've um been sober for a two years it would seem as though you're you're pretty much uh accomplished what we're most think uh, would take to be sober, and yet in those people they still relapse. And so, I guess my question, in long way of asking it, is what's the difference between the person that's able to to continue on their path of recovery and those that, even though they had some significant um, period of sobriety, just somehow just fall back into that pattern where their substance of choice seems the only solution. Right. Well, I think a couple of things are going on at that time. Um, I know with clients I've worked with and, and during my own recovery, the one or two year mark is a critical time in that um, sometimes people feel like, wow, I haven't picked up a drink or a drug in one or two years, so I don't think I have a problem. Like, or let mm. me see, let me give it a, uh, let me check this out if I really do. Let me do some more research, as they call it. And wow. um, so I think some people are really wondering, that's part of it. They haven't exactly totally accepted step one, that they're powerless over whatever their substance of choice is and their life is unmanageable. So I think that's part of it. And the other part is it's um, a time where are you really committed to your recovery? Are you going to, you know, continue down this path? Uh, because I find if people make it a little bit further past the first couple of years, they tend to stay on the path of being clean and sober. I mean, people relapse at 5, 10, 15 years. But I think that early recovery period is crucial if they could get past that one or two year mark. Um, and I remember when I lived in New York, there was uh, this one um, poster in one of the recovery rooms that said, it's easier to stay sober than to get sober. And I remind people that it's easier, even though I know you're really struggling right now, but it's gonna, it, this is gonna be easier than if you start all over again. You know, mm. um, meaning if you relapse, and uh, yeah. you know, so to maybe kind of redouble their support system at that point, their recovery support system. Um, yeah. Okay. So, it's, so it's, um, 
go ahead. Oh, no. It, it's a challenging time. You're right. And it's also a riddle, so to speak. You know, like, wow, they've made it so far. Why did they, you know? But so I think those are the two main reasons. They want to yeah. check it out. I don't really okay. think I'm an addict or alcoholic. And, and am I really committed to this? Yeah. You know, um, thank you for that. And it's interesting as someone who, like I said, has not, you know, I when I was younger, I was, I was a binge drinker, and and I had my challenges. But I've fortunately never got to the place where I was addicted. And then you know, I would just do stupid stuff in college, and say, "Well, everybody else is doing it." And then later on, like, "Oh, I, I this is not working in my life. This is not where I want to go." And so mm-hmm. was able to to not fall into that trap. Um, fortunately. Um, but someone who has not been there and has not done that, it always is so perplexing to me. I just don't understand um, someone who's, you know, done the work and they seem like they're really going down the right path and they're thriving and, and their life is turning around. And then there's something inside of them, whether it be subconscious or a conscious thought, like what you're saying is the conscious thought would be like, well, Let's see. Let's test it out and see if I am really addicted, or others just kind of fall into it without really consciously making a choice. It seems so. So that's that's really fascinating, and I guess that's that's why we're all working in this environment. That's why we're all um, working and doing our best to accept those that have that challenge and finding better ways to provide the support they need to prevent those relapse. So with that, um, I think it'd be a great time for you to, let's let's get into the, like a practical rubber meets the road. Explain to me, um, so it's interesting now that you, you mentioned it, it combines mindfulness, which I think is awesome, uh, CBT, mm-hmm. cognitive behavior therapy, which seems to be much more prevalent. I hear much more about that than the, the dialectic. So could you describe to me what some uh, dialectic skills are and and how they may be used in someone who's um, struggling or just saying, oh, man, I'm I'm feeling like I'm going off the rails and I may, my life is, you know, something's happened and to help them prevent a relapse. Right. So good question. Um, So some DBT skills, would be, uh, well, one is developing a mindfulness or meditation practice. And so it's hopefully, and I recommend to clients at least 10 minutes of the morning, and I know that could feel like a lot to some people, but um, that's one uh, activity. Um, Okay. The next is creating an action plan to stay abstinent today. So what's yeah. the plan to stay abstinent today? Uh, okay. What kind of meditation did you practice? Did you rely on a higher power today? Um, and then what are five things you're grateful for today? I know that some clients I work with, they... Uh, their sponsor and them, 
not to use the correct English there, but but they text their sponsor every morning the five things they're grateful for. So that's okay. Um, sober activity, and then in terms of DVT, there's so many DVT skills. Uh, one is called uh, open hands, and so. Maybe you're just talking to someone on next door or not next door on Zoom or um, maybe you're in a group and you're, you know, maybe you're feeling a little triggered or you're at a uh, a work meeting. Um, and people find if you have your hands open on your lap, there is less of a chance that you're going to be um, angry or develop anger and um, be really upset. So it helps calm that down. Uh, also, dialectical behavioral therapy looks at three states of mind. One is reasonable mind. It's kind of uh, like, I don't remember, um, Star Trek, uh, Spock would often say that it's highly illogical. So he was always in reasonable mind. And then um, Captain Kirk was more in the emotion mind, where your emotions are driving the bus. And in wise mind, it's combining both reasonable and emotion mind. So you're staying in the middle of the boat. So you're staying in between both reasonable and emotion mind. And then during the DBT skills uh, groups that are either six months or a year, you learn part of the group work is practicing these skills and saying, oh, is this wise mind, emotion mind? Because um, wise mind helps someone integrate the facts from both reasonable mind and emotion mind. Um, another DBT skill is called turning the mind. So basically focus on something else instead of what's bothering you. Um, so it could be getting involved, okay, I'm going to go for a swim the next hour, or I'm going to make a phone call. Um, but you're turning what's upsetting you to something else. Uh, so you're observing your resistance, you're committed to accepting your reality, and then, um, you know, making a plan for yourself. Uh, those are some of the DBT skills. Um, another one is called PAGES. Uh, Dr. Linehan is really big on acronyms as a way to help remember the steps to using a skill. So PAGES has to do with putting away your pain, like for instance in a God box, act, engage in physical activity or plan a day out, give, donate things you don't need, emotions, watch a funny movie or make a phone call, and sensations, hum a song, uh, observe nature outside your window. So wow. Some... <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I'm um, I'm excited. I'm, I'll get some of your books. And um, I, I have yet to find a workbook um, that, it includes those sorts of things and 
like I said, not having been through this myself, I could only imagine the benefits of that. And I love the, the, in the simplest thing, I love that. And I guess that could also be if you're in the midst of feeling triggered, um, just opening up your hands and being receptive rather than when you close your hands and create a fist, you're you're creating emotional tension. You're not allowing the emotions to run in and through your body, and you're not able to process it, and they get stuck. That's that's really really cool. I love your uh, this practice. Sounds like it combines, you know, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Spock mind and the Kirk mind. I'll remember that much more easily than the uh, what did you say, rational and emotional, because that those, yeah. I, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, as are most. Um, and uh, and um, but it's wonderful to be able to do that and to recognize which which uh, perspective where you're operating. And like, man, I'm in this emotional state, and I need to draw more rational thought to it and come to a balance. Or you know, I'm getting to be so rational, I got to be able to. Um, allow those emotions in and and then the combo of um, that allows us to reach our highest and best self because as humans we're um, probably the best example of the um, the dialectical is a dialectical is the fact that we are human and we are constantly having emotional response and then mirroring or trying to combine that and make sense of it with our rational thought. So really cool. Um, and I love the, what was the other pages? So um, I, I like that where you're, I remember now what, what's P is, uh, let me see if I can remember. Wait, I'm what is P again? Pages. It just went out of my head. So, oh, put away. Okay, so, put away what the what the immediate what, the immediacy of what's really yeah. bugging you. Just put it aside or put it away. Yeah. A is for act. Okay, act, act so that you're 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 going in going into something with volition and and directing yourself to some other activity exercise. G, I love giving because if you're if you're so focused on your own ennui and your own challenge and your own anxiety giving to others is going to obviously help then uh mm-hmm. then the emotion or where you're you're now able to find things you're grateful for or using a positive emotion and then sensing i love it, it sounds Thank really you. cool and very practical i think Thank sometimes you. um patients that i have um some of them are super committed and others feel, you know, like, well, I can just do this. I'll just stop using and then continue with their life without trying to find skills or ways in which they can um, address or have a uh, plan when they feel so challenged that they may be uh, subject to relapse. So I think this will, I think this will be a great addition to, uh, to my practice in helping, I'd say mo- the, prim- the primary thing that I do is I work on the, the medical and the biochemical, and then I, I lightly touch into the the mental, emotional, spiritual aspect of it, but that's not my forte. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I feel my best role is someone that can identify 
a resource that they can go to to help them in their process and maybe um, finding the best fit for them that's going to match their challenges, personality type, whether it be uh, an individual therapist or an incredible resource like the one that you've put together. So I'm so grateful to that uh, I was able to learn about this and the work and the dedication that you put into doing this. Tell me, tell me about the, the workbook. Um, when did you decide that, go ahead. Oh, oh, go, go ahead. Um, I was going to say regarding the workbook, tell me about when you, um, came up with the idea or how you came to the idea that you wanted to put something like this together. Um, so as I was talking about a little earlier, when I myself was in a DBT group, um, as a client, not as a psychologist, um, and the therapist said, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. That's when the light bulb went off in my head, like, wow, these DBT skills that I'm learning would be so helpful for people in recovery. Uh, I mean, the AA or Big Book or 12 and 12, you know, there's probably maybe 20 skills, maybe 30 yeah. tops. But there is over 200 DBT skills. So there's, you know, since the 30s 40s there's you know 80 years a wealth of um skills and uh new therapy that can be that can help people who have addiction or alcohol problems and so after that group i just had that idea in my head and then probably two years later the pandemic hit and i initially was thinking i'd write this book during my retirement and then I thought, oh, that will probably never happen. But then when the pandemic hit, then, you know, you're kind of stuck you know, for most of us in our house. And I thought, well, this is the perfect time. And a friend of mine who's an editor was also stuck, so to speak. I mean, she worked out of her house or home primarily anyway, but she was willing to help me uh, after writing different chapters to edit and take a look at it. And so that's what I did. It took about two years to write. And then I found a, a publisher out of uh, London, um, the uh, Jessica Tingsley Publisher Group. And they wanted, to, and they're the ones that published it. And we went from there. Okay. Um oh I was I had I had a brilliant question I didn't ask you. Um oh I, I know what it was. So um is dialectic behavioral therapy is it was it previously used for all sorts of therapy or was it specific for addiction and addiction recovery? Oh in the beginning it was only used with people, primarily women, who had borderline personality disorder. It was only used for that population, clinical population. And then um, it started branching out. So then they tried DBT skills for people who have eating disorders or um, other type of compulsions. And, uh, and then about 
So when I was doing the research to see if there's any other workbooks, which there's not, at least in, until I wrote mine, um, there was some studies in research journals or addiction journals about trying DBT skills with people who have addiction or substance use problems. And the research uh, showed promising results. However, it was really, uh, how should I say, it was very involved, um, it was complicated. And so I decided, you know, it's a simple program for complicated people, right? So I wanted to keep it simple, so to speak. Um, and so that's why I decided to, uh, each chapter is about a step, so step one. And then I talked about what DBT skills will help you complete or to work on step one to accept your addiction. And then the second chapter, step two, and what DBT skills are going to help you with step two. And that's how I decided to organize the book as well. But DBT now is uh, becoming more and more popular to use um, with addiction, with alcoholism. When I um, first started this book, I looked at a lot of treatment centers and their uh, theoretical orientation and the type of therapies they use. And four years ago, I'd say only a handful used DBT skills or DBT therapy. But now, if you look at you know any different number of websites, more and more treatment centers are using dialectical behavioral therapy as part of their program. So it's really taken off. Yeah. And um, so if someone, I guess, I guess, um, you know, my reason for asking is that I could see so many things um, where a person could benefit from this work, um, where the emotional component or the psycho-spiritual challenge or, you know, past trauma or trauma in their comp compensations and all of our life events we bring into our lives every day when we wake up in the morning. And I feel that in so many other situations and illnesses, it's a massive part of uh, what a person needs to do in order to truly heal. And oftentimes their illness or their symptoms is a manifestation of this inner challenge or this emotional struggle, psycho-spiritual um, position that they found themselves in, in that, you know, and the one I'm thinking of is oftentimes cancer. I, so out of all the things I, I deal with, I deal with a lot of addiction and then I deal with cancer patients. And um, we kind of live in a world where cancer seems like the the conventional dominant medical paradigm is that with cancer you identify it you cut it out you burn it and poison it and then you just it just goes away where so much of what i see is the 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 true cause is something that's much deeper and um there's a a person just recently um within the last 
eight to 10 years, wrote a book. Um, the doctor is a PhD uh, called Kelly Turner. And uh -huh. it's called it's called Radical Remission. Are you familiar with that book? No, I haven't heard of it. It sounds interesting. Yeah, so it's 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 fascinating because what uh, what Dr. Uh, Kelly Turner did is that she was a researcher and she was noticing in her work um, just some people that would have these miraculous radical remission where they had this cancer diagnosis and they had their cancer had spread and metastasized and they were basically you know get your life in order and go home and die and there were a certain number of people although it's a small group that fell into this category that would have these amazing recoveries in this radical remission and to my point uh, in a circuitous way um she found there was i think 10, 10 to 12 common themes that, that ran and were consistently um, it was consistently occurring in these people that had these amazing turnarounds in their health where they became cancer-free. And, and it got to the point where, you know, conventional medicine is saying, oh, well, that must have been a misdiagnosis or we didn't diagnose it right or, you know, it, it couldn't possibly happen because it, in their paradigm it doesn't happen but in her study she found that probably if, if i remember right there's nine out of 12 or 10 out of 12 common things that people did have nothing to do with what we normally uh, consider uh, treatment of cancer didn't have to do with their drugs that they were given or the procedures they did or the um, dietary changes that they were to make but it had all to all to do with their spiritual connection, their support of their of their group of people that support them, their mission or what they felt like their life purpose was, um, the way they viewed the world and their situation in it. And I'm only thinking that um, I know you probably just finished this book, but. <laughs> I want, I want to be able to have something like that as a massive tool for people that are committed to to addressing some of these challenges. And uh, so I guess in the meantime, I'm going to see, you, would you think that uh, this DBT workbook for alcohol would be effective for someone that's going through some other illness or is it, is it, is it so much specific? to oh, no. uh, alcohol and drugs. I mean, I'm also a cancer survivor, and okay. I could definitely see where these skills would have helped me during my, uh, when I went through cancer treatment. Um, they are very versatile and applicable to a lot of different, not just addictions, but like I said, uh, food addiction, or it could be going through cancer. I mean, mindfulness of meditation, that could help anyone. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a skill called improve, uh, and that's beneficial in tolerating difficult circumstances, which going to chemo or cancer treatment is definitely a difficult. Um, there's another DBT called STOP, which is a way to, um, you know, not escalate 
what you're going through, not escalate the feeling that's happening uh, at the moment, how to stay calmer or stay calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that will, that, will, that will stabilize their stress level, will stabilize their cortisol, which makes their yeah. immune system work, and the white blood cells will identify the cancer, and their body has the resources to deal with it. So, yeah, it's, it sounds like it would be definitely um, beneficial. I just, people, um, I, I think in general, people want to, they always want, I'm looking for the best. I'm looking for the most specific to what my what I'm experiencing and I think my my challenge in recommending um your workbook to someone who's going through something else is say well yeah but that's for I don't have this addiction or a drug or alcohol problem and so I'd have to how does it be well let's put a new cover on it yeah (laughs) I mean the selling point could be Dr. Nelson where you say these skills because I have them all listed out, can help you overcome some of the suffering that's needless suffering. You know, going back to that one line, pain is inevitable. So going through cancer right now is inevitable for you. But the suffering is optional, meaning, like for me, part of the suffering that was optional going through cancer treatment is, oh, I'm going to die. And But how do I know that? No one knows that. You know, right. but that added suffering to my treatment. Or, oh, no, I'm not going to see my daughter grow up. Well, again, that's assuming. And here are some different DBT skills that could counteract that or confront that. Um, you could easily superimpose the skills of DBT or this workbook and also... To, to work with your patients going through cancer. Um, it reminds me of, uh, uh, oh, God, what was his name? Um, John Zabat-Zinn, the psychologist who invented the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. And yeah. it's similar to DBT. It's an eight-week program because he had clients who had pain disorder, going through cancer treatment, and nothing was helping them. Nothing was really working. And then he used the mindfulness part of DBT, and clients improved tremendously um, yeah. without medication. And so that's yeah. where, you know, he, there's no medication involved, and but you're learning all these skills and applying them, and it makes a huge difference. I also, I don't know if you do group work with clients or do group work, but I myself was in a group and then did groups for people going through cancer treatment. And that was also, you know, and teaching some of these skills, totally uh, helpful and valuable. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, um so yeah, I think I, I, I'm. Uh, I don't want to get off too on too far a tangent because we're talking about addiction. Um, but right, I, right. I really appreciate that, and um, you know, it's it's interesting because if we get to the root of where illness comes from, so often the root of our illness is a disruption in in our ability to be fully human. And as we were talking about before, where, you know, 
it's a rare person who just was born with that innate skill to balance their emotional response and their logical mind. And it's something that's not really talked about. It's not really taught. And yet people that are most, people that are most balanced or healthy have that And some are just lucky or, you know, maybe some learn from observing others, but yeah, to be able to teach that as a, as a tangible skill is incredible. And not only, you know, for addiction, but I think about chronic pain. That's the other area that I work in. It's chronic pain or acute mm-hmm. pain where people are debilitated in their, their shoulder, their hip, their low back, you know, and it's all they can do is to get through their day. And that pain is so challenging. And yet we, we tend to think as doctors and people who are suffering from that, it's, oh, it's just my physical body. It's right in that right hip. And that's my problem. And that's all we need to focus on. And yet being able to use these skills and calm our emotions, have a mindfulness, uh, be able to, um, I would just say, better able to tolerate the distress and then Mm -hmm. how it affects both our own emotional regulation and then our ability to maintain our interpersonal relationships is incredibly challenged when you're in pain or suffering. So those things in a skill set um, are obviously going to help not only you, but your family and maintain your relationships and all that stuff. So I think it's incredible the ability to apply that in other areas. So it sounds sounds wonderful. Thank you. Um, I have a question, um, and you, I'm hoping that you have <laughs> a solution. How does okay. how do you get how do you get someone to meditate whose mind is just racing? It's just all over the place, and they can't sit still for a second, and they're anxious, and you know they can't sit still. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there other types of meditation other than what we normally associate with uh, meditation, where you're sitting there and having a mantra or focusing on your breathing? Is do you, what suggestions do you have for someone like that? Because I have I probably have so many of my patients that oh I know I'm supposed to meditate. Everyone talks about it, but I can't do it for the life of me. And they go, ah, I'm just not going to do it. What do you have a, yeah, well, a method or a technique that you can use yeah. for those people? So I'm one of those people that I think I lasted not even a minute um, starting to meditate. And then uh, my own therapist suggested there's a type of meditation called walking meditation. And it's not just walking, but then you're also using, so using your physical self mind to walk, but then you're also counting like one, one, two. One, two, three. One, two, three, four. And you do that up to ten and then you count down. And you'd be surprised how many people are like one, two, oh wait, where was I? One, two, three, four. <laughs> and so it really takes so much concentration from your mind. And then you're also using your physical body. So by using more of your uh, senses and your body and your mind, it is almost impossible to um, to not be able to do it or to just still have your mind going all over your place because you need every part of your mind 
to do this because it's so involved. So this is what I found the most helpful is to walk and say one, one, two, one, two, three. And then if I find I lost my place, oh, I wasn't being mindful. I let myself get distracted. Let's start again. Okay. And cool. um, people could do it in their house. They could, I suggest that they could walk outside. That's an added benefit because you're getting the, um, just being able to be outside in the fresh air helps clear your mind. But it's yeah, really challenging. Great. Yeah. yeah. Another recommendation I would have is to meditate in a group. Oh, okay. So so for me, on my own, like I belong to an online meditation group, but it's still hard because it's online. But when we meet in person, I could meditate for a half hour. But online, wow. I still last only about five minutes. But there's something about an in-person group that is really, really helpful. And um, whenever I go to a retreat, I'm also able to meditate for much longer periods than if I'm just with myself. So that also helps. Uh, There's something about the group effect that's really helpful. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And it's it's even more fascinating that the group has to be in the same locale. It's not as effective when you're in a group setting, say, with... Uh, you know, uh, online chat or whatever, um, yeah, um, Zoom meeting or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. Wow. So that's that's kind of cool. You know, so that's that's where we get to the power of the collective mind, and and the the effects and the benefits of being with people of like mind. And um, do you find that when you when you're in those settings? Is it just as effective with a group of people that have just gotten together or is it better after you've gotten to know each other a little bit? Um, well, the group I'm in, we've known each other for a little while, but, you know, I facilitate meditation groups and I've done consulting in different rehabs and most of the people just met each other when they got in rehab. And they still cool. are able to do it much longer than if they're, they said, when that's they were at home. Yeah. That's really fascinating. So what that, it, so what that's telling me is that it's probably most important is that a person comes in with a mindset of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this group and I'm committed to my own recovery and I, and I have this sense of respect or appreciation for the rest of the people that are here. So something magic is happening with that uh the the collective and the the mind the one mind that's being created that's that's really interesting and something magic happens in person so like i went from you know my practice full practice in san francisco to then online and now back starting slowly to see people in person again. I I made a home office during that time. And there's just something about being in person with another human being that's so healing that online cannot substitute for. And clients have even said, wow, Dr. P, just being in this one session feels better than, you know, three months we had on Zoom. So there's something very healing 
just being in the yeah. presence of another human being who is offering care and support in person. Yeah. So that's probably going to, yeah, that's probably going to yeah. reverse this trend that's occurred since the pandemic is that um, I never rarely used to do uh, um, telemark or telemedicine visits. And now it seems like I, I get so many people that do that. And it's just because of the convenience. They don't have to get in their car. They don't have to drive through traffic, right, right. blah, 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 blah. You know, they can, they can devote their time just to the session. But, um, and, and for some things, it's probably helpful, but, but for others, you're right. Just that in-person intangible that can make a demonstrable change or elevate the therapeutic value of the experience. That sounds interesting. So, uh, we are, we're coming to the end of our, of our talk. I so appreciate you coming on and I'm fascinated by your book. How do Thank how do we get your book? Um, and then uh, both for for me personally, but then also, um, how do patients get your book and your workbook? Oh. Okay. So the easiest way to get my workbook is on Amazon.com, and um, again, the book title is the DBT Workbook. For Alcohol and Drug Addiction by uh, okay. my last kind of a mouthful, Dr. Laura Petrachik, P as in Paul, E-T-R-A, C as in Charles, E-K. And you could also find me at my website, www.laurapetrachikphd.com. Okay. Beautiful mispronounced your name. I I went to medical school with a gentleman and his last name was spelled the same way, but he pronounced it Patrasic. Oh wow. Someone who's that's a very unusual name. I wonder if I'm yeah. <laughs> Well do you do you know Michael Patrasic? Wow, that name's familiar, yes. He's a naturopathic a doctor and I went to school with him in Portland. I don't know where he is now. Oh, but yeah, he's a wonderful guy. Great. He used to play the organ at his church and just a really, really a cool, amazing person. But yeah, so you you pronounce it Petro. I, I but some people do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Michael Petrochik. He's in Nashville. Oh, Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Good guy. Is he? I wonder, I wonder if. He, I wonder if that's him. I wow. wonder if you guys are related. Okay. Well, okay. I so appreciate you coming on, and I look forward to uh, um, getting some copies of your book. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't have anything like this, and I'm gonna every single person that comes to see me for uh, alcohol addiction, for their opiate recovery, um, some people with process addictions. I'm gonna recommend that if anybody's serious, I'm just gonna say, if you wanna continue um, on your path, here's an amazing resource. And um, do you also do um, therapy online? Yes. For people I that do. are located long distance? Yes, I do have uh, licensure for interstate um, okay. to see clients that I obtained during the pandemic. So I see okay. clients out of New York, you know, all over the country. Okay. 
Okay. Even yeah. though we just we just talked about the the uh, orders of magnitude of improvement when the, there's a one-on-one face-to-face, <laughs> sometimes that's not always possible. Is there a group of uh, or a resource? Say someone was wanting to have a one-on-one. Is there a, a website or people that do your type of therapy in case they wanted to find someone local? If they want to find someone local, they could put in. They could go on the website Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. And then put in there a zip code, and okay. then it has filters, and you can put in, click on DBT, and then okay. it will come up. Now, those people don't exactly do DBT. They, okay. they haven't applied the skills for addiction, but they have mm-hmm. at least the general knowledge of it. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, doctor, I so appreciate you coming on. Um, Dr. Laura Patrachek. Um, And uh, all of our listeners, um, thank you for listening. Um, I'm excited to um, hear of anybody's experience doing this. Please give us feedback. Thanks to my wonderful producer, Robin. And um, this is Dr. William Nelson thanking everybody for joining us on another episode of Your Road to Personal Addiction Recovery. Have a great day, Doc. Thanks. You too, Dr. Nelson. Thanks for listening to Your Road to Personal Addiction Recovery with Dr. William Nelson. Listen live each week at this time or anytime 24-7 on demand at StarWorldWideNetworks.com.